Jonathan Harker's journal is ended. We move now to the correspondence of Lucy Westenra and Mina Murray, or, or rather, I suppose, a, a single letter from Lucy to Mina, and then much later a single letter from, from Mina to Lucy. And, well, between the two, the story can be filled in by my own diary and Mina's. But we will begin with Lucy's letter, in which my own appearance still causes me a slight pang. My dearest Mina, I must say you tax me very unfairly with being a bad correspondent. I wrote you twice since we parted, and your last letter was only your second. Besides, I have nothing to tell you. The curly-haired man you refer to went with me to the last concert, and someone has evidently been telling tales. That was Mr. Homewood. He gets on very well with Mama. And we've met a man who would do very well for you, if you hadn't already got Jonathan. He's handsome and well-off and immensely clever, only twenty-nine and in charge of a whole lunatic asylum. Well, you had to go and pick a solicitor instead. Oh, here he is. Good morning, Miss Westenra. Good morning, Dr. Sayward. What a fine hat. Thank you, Miss Westenra. I um, am. Well, don't sit on it. I've just been writing a letter. Ah! Ah! Uh, Have you? Yes. Uh, Well, well, um, the thing is, Miss Westenra, is that you have become very dear to me over the short time that we've known each other, and I cannot spend a moment without thinking of what my life could be with you uh, beside me to to help me and to cheer me, and I would be so very unhappy if if you were to... um... Oh, Dr. Sayward, please, I... No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I've been a brute. I didn't mean to add to your present trouble. Please, Miss Westerner, could you come to love me in time? Uh, I'm afraid I can't. Is it because there's someone else? I don't mean to wring a confidence from you, but, but only to know... Because if a woman's heart is free, then a man might have hope. Yes, Dr. Sayward, there is someone else. Well, my dear, I I hope you will be happy. And if you need a friend, um, please count me one of your best. Thank you very much, Dr. Sayward. Would you like any tea? Oh, no, no. um, I couldn't possibly... Uh, if you ever need a friend, though, remember. Oh, Mina! (laughs) Where was I? I've never in my life had a proposal, and I always thought I'd be pleased to have one. Oh, I feel so miserable. It was all very nice, but it isn't at all a happy thing when you have to see a poor fellow that loves you honestly, going away all broken-hearted. And to know that no matter what he says, you are passing out of his life. (laughs) Mr. Morris! You seem to be writing pretty feverishly there, darling. I'm not much of a correspondent myself, but it looks like you might have some mighty urgent news. Not so, Mr. Morris. Only something rather funny has happened, and I am writing it all down so I don't forget it. 
Well, if I've got you in a laughing mood, I'll do the voice. Yes, yes, do the voice. <clears throat> Miss Lucy, I know I ain't good enough to regulate the fixings of your little shoes, but you'll be waiting a long time to find a man who is. So won't you just hitch up alongside of me and let us go down the long road together, driving in double harness? Well, Mr. Morris, I... I... Don't know anything in a fetching, and I am not broken to harness at all yet. I've spoken in a light manner, and if I've made a mistake doing so on so grave an occasion for me, I hope you will forgive me. Lucy, I've thought since the day that I met you that a man would be a fool not to try his damned hardest to win you over, and every day since I've grown more certain. Lucy, you are an honest-hearted girl, and I believe you clean grit down to the depths of your soul. Tell me. Like one good fella to another. Is there anyone else that you care for? And if there is, I'll never trouble you again. But we'll be, if you let me, a very faithful friend. Yes, there is someone I love. Though he has not told me yet that he loves me. It's better worth being late for a chance of winning you than being in time for any other girl in the world. Me, I'm a hard nut to crack, and I take it standing up. Well, little girl, you made me a friend. And that's rarer than a lover. Thank you for your sweet honesty to me. And goodbye. Won't you stay for some tea? No, thank you, girlie. I can't stand the stuff. If ever you need someone by your side, I'll come a-running. Mina! Two in one day! Oh, why can't they let a girl marry three men? Or as many as want her and save all the trouble! But this is heresy, and I must not say it. Mr. Quincy Morris is such a nice fellow, too. An American from Texas. And he has such adventures and tells such stories. Well, he just found me alone, and it seems a man always does find a girl alone. Except Arthur, and he's tried twice to make an attempt, and I was helping him all I could, and... Oh, help! Arthur! Lucy, darling... Would you be my wife? Yes, oh, absolutely, yes. Are you, are you sure? Yes, yes, of course. Oh, I'll go get the tea things. Lucy, darling, dearest, don't be angry with me. Oh, I could never. But I must go back to my father. I couldn't wait a moment longer to ask you, but I simply cannot be spared. He's too ill. Arthur, oh... Of course, you must, you must. You've made me the happiest man in the world. And I the happiest girl, I suppose. Well, Mina, I don't suppose I need to tell you about proposal number three, do I? I'm sure it was all the same for you, just a big rush, and before you know it... It's over, and you're so very, very, very happy. And now I've got ink on my dress. Honestly, for what it's supposed to be, the best and happiest day imaginable is turning out pretty rotten. Here, use my handkerchief. Mina! Calm down, calm down, Lucy dear. Have you been crying? I've written it all out, and I'm so terribly happy that it makes me want to cry. Oh, darling. Come for a walk outside. Whitby looks lovely, and you need some air. 
I will follow Lucy's correspondence with a couple entries from my own diary, kept in phonograph, dating the same day and the next. July 24th. Met with Quincy and Arthur the evening of Lucy's choice, having arranged to meet Arthur on his way back to his father. I wish nothing but the best for my friend, but I confess, if it weren't for Quincy's good humour in the face of the same disappointment, I would not have liked to have seen Arthur so soon. Old pal, it's bittersweet to congratulate you, but we must swallow our medicine. You couldn't have picked a better gal. Yes. <clears throat> Congratulations, Arthur. Thank you both. I wish it hadn't happened this way, but it was fair and square and you know it. I even went last. Yes, of course. <clears throat> of course. I'd like to see anyone hoodwink that girl. She's plucky enough and she kept her nerve, didn't she? I reckon Jack and I poured our hearts out to her and she sat as cool as you please, knowing you'd be along soon. Aw, oh, don't stop making me feel sorry for the lot of you. I've missed you both at my campfire. Let's go drink our sorrows, Jack. And if you follow along, Arthur, we'll toast to you and your lady. July 25th. Low appetite. Since my rebuff of yesterday, I've had a sort of empty feeling. Nothing in the world seems of sufficient importance to be worth doing. As I knew the only cure was work, I went among the patients. And so I picked out one who has afforded me a study of much interest. R. M. Renfield, age 59. Sanguine temperament, great physical strength, morbidly excitable, periods of gloom ending in some fixed idea which I cannot make out. If he is unselfish, he may be dangerous. In selfish men, caution is as secure an armor for their foes as for themselves. <laughs> you look disappointed, Doctor. Morning, Renfield. Do I? Heartbroken. You look busy. <clears throat> Where have your flies gone? Oh, I keep spiders now. You said I should get rid of the flies. I'm glad you listened. And so you fed the flies to the spiders? Nearly all of them. Renfield. Don't be stupid, Doctor. Every fly is a good little life and gives life to the thing that eats it. My spiders have lots of little lives by now. Don't eat your spiders, Renfield. I shall have to take them away. Oh, no, Doctor. I'm going to catch a sparrow and he will eat the spiders for me. Lots of lives for a bigger life. And then what? Could I please have a kitten? And then what? My salvation depends on it, Doctor. Give me your pocketbook. I'd rather not. Give me your pocketbook. Good night, Renfield. No such thing. <laughs> <laughs> Now that Mina Murray has come to Whitby, we continue with her journal. July 24th, Whitby. I walked a long time with Lucy after my arrival. This is a lovely place. We walked mostly through the churchyard on the cliffs. 
where over time some of the graves have fallen into the sea. There is a beautiful view of the harbor below with a long seawall and two lighthouses. It was such a pleasant change to walk along in the breeze. Except it carries along the sound of a bell on the roof, which is a mournful sound on the wind. I can't imagine why you'd want to leave off teaching. I've quite enjoyed being a school teacher. I like the independence of it and earning my own keep, and I grew fond of most of the children. But there's still something so old-fashioned about it. I'm learning to type now and to write in shorthand, and I want to work as a secretary for Jonathan now that he's a certified solicitor. Modern work, you know. Yes, I suppose I see. No, you don't. You've picked yourself the son of a lord and you'll be Lady Godwin in one day. And you won't lift a finger till the day you die. Mina! I'm not useless, you know. If you're good at writing things down and typing them up and teaching a lot of children, well, I'm good at talking to adults. And I figure it all balances out in the end. When, if, I'm Lady Godleming, I'll have to win over all of our guests and charm other ladies at parties and I intend to be known as a wit. Half of one. Besides, I won't be Lady Anything for a long time. Arthur's father isn't so ill and I'm sure I will be the Honourable Mrs. Arthur Homewood for a long time. You're terribly smug. <laughs> you don't really think I am, do you Mina? I'd rather die than have you think I was arrogant. Hush, Lucy, of course not. You look sad. I'm worried about Jonathan, that's all. I've only just received a couple letters from him. They did nearly a month ago. One saying he'd be leaving in a week. One saying he was starting today. Not at all like him. Yes, well, I'm sure traveling wears on one's correspondence. You hardly wrote me anything, and you weren't taking trains and ships and things. What's this your mother told me about sleepwalking? Oh, don't worry about that. I used to do it when I was a child, and apparently I've started up again. I have my eyes open, and I've never actually fallen down anything. I don't think I can even get the bedroom door open. Well, I should be able to watch you while I'm here. Yes, ma'am. Are you going to teach me my ABCs too, or is that only for your children under the age of 20? What a storm! Yes, that does look nasty, doesn't it? I wonder if it'll come all the way inland. It will. Look. Look at the ship. What ship? All of its sails are up, even in the wind. It's racing with the wind behind it. Masts draining. It's coming right for us. Where? Do you mean that speck out there? I can't even tell if it's a ship. A Russian ship. Since when are you so nautical? Let's walk back. It's going to pour soon. Ah, look. Mina has pasted a cutting from the Daily Graph here in her journal. Suddenness storms on record has just been experienced here. After a violently beautiful sunset with hues of flame, purple, pink, green, violet, and all tints of gold, the air grew still and there was a silence so marked that one could hear the barking of a dog far inland. Few boats were out hugging the shore, and the only sail noticeable was from a foreign schooner, seemingly unaware or unafraid of the coming storm. 
Now morning, the tempest broke a little after midnight, and the waves rose in glowing fury. Ejo was hopping his fellows until they broke over the pier and tossed their steam up over the bridge. Masses of sea fog could destroy the it, even though the wind was so strong that men could not keep their feet in the harbor. The harbor was cleared of onlookers, and a searchlight was gotten to working order to guide the next fishing boats in. Before long, the caught a glimpse of the same school of the area this evening, and the watchers of the storm shuddered at the danger she was now in. Watch your feet, Dr. Seward. We'll follow you up. Just head to the helm. How did she run aground like this? It was the oddest thing. I caught sight of her from the cliff, and I told myself she doesn't know her mind a bit. She seems to see the storm coming, but can't decide whether to run up north in the open or to put in here. A beautiful ship but changing with every puff of wind, with no mind to a hand on the wheel. Aye, the Russian had all sails set, even when our boy signaled her to put him down. We lost sight of her for a while, but in the blackest part of the storm, right at high tide, she came on straight for the reef. I said she must fetch up somewhere, if only in hell. But then the wind changed, and somehow she made it into harbor and they trained the searchlight on her, and we could all see the dead man swinging to and fro at the wheel, while he steered her right onto the sand heap. Not a living thing on board except a dog. Jumped off the side as soon as it touched land. Well, hope it's not a dangerous animal. Here he is, Doctor. The captain. We haven't touched him. But he's tied the knots with his teeth, looks like. He's wrapped the rosary around both hands, like so, and then knotted them. Well, it's cut to the bone since, but then he's been dead for at least two days. We found this bottle in his pocket. It was sealed with a cork, and it looks to be the end of his captain's log. I didn't like to open it until there were enough witnesses. It ought to be in Russian, so I brought this chap Egorov here. Father was a Russian sailor, too. Go on. <clears throat> June 18. Things so strange happening that I shall keep note until we land. July 6. We taken cargo, 50 boxes of earth. At noon set sail, crew of five hands, two mates, a cook, and myself, captain. July 13. Crew is dissatisfied but will not speak. July 16th, Vance reported one of the crew, Petrovsky, missing, and could not account for it. Lebrard watched eight bells last night, relieved by Marimov, but never went to bed. July 17th, Ogron says he thinks there's a strange man on the ship. They've got the crew together to search, so that the panic does not spread. The first mate was angry, so I let him take the helm while the rest of us went from stem to stern. We searched the whole ship, and there was nothing, even between the big wooden boxes. Men relieved. July 22. Men cheerful again. Passenger boater. July 24. Some doom over this ship. Another man disappeared. Came off watch and not seen again.
men in a panic of fear, worried there would be violence. July 28th, four days in hell. Tempest wind and men all worn out. July 29th, second mate gone. Mate and I now armed. July 30th, rejoiced we are nearing England. Weather fine, woken by mate telling me that the man of watch and steersman missing. Only four of us left to work ship. August 1st. Two days of fog. Cannot signal. Mate is more demoralized than men. They are Russian. He is Romanian. August 2. Woke to hear a cry. Another man gone. Mate says we must pass Straits of Dover. Three left. God has deserted us. August 3rd. At midnight, Winter leave the man at the wheel, and no one was there. Shouted for mate. He came wild-eyed in his flannels. He whispered to me, It is here. I know it now. I saw it on my watch, like a man, tall and thin and ghastly pale. I gave it my knife, but the knife went through it. But I'll find it. It is in the hole, the one of the boxes. I'll unscrew them one by one. You work the helm. With his finger on his lip, he went below. He is mad. I cannot stop him. I shall stand here and write these notes. I hope he comes out calmer. Just as I was hopeful, there comes from the hatch a sudden scream. Ha! And up on deck he came as if shot from a gun. A raving madman with his eyes rolling. He says, You'd better come too, Captain, before it is too late. He's there. I know the secrets now. The sea will save me. And before I could move to seize him, he threw himself overboard. I suppose I know the secret now too. He's got rid of the men one by one and followed them himself. How will I account to these horrors when I get to port? If I ever do... jump overboard. Better to die like a man. But I am captain, and I must not leave my ship. I will battle this fiend. I will tie my hands to the wheel with what he cannot touch, and then he cannot have my ship. I shall save my soul and my honor as a captain. If we are wrecked and this bottle found, those who find it may understand. If not, then I did my duty all the same. God help me. Well, I suppose with no evidence, it's impossible to say whether the captain himself committed the murders, but it seems almost as though he was seized by some, some mania that developed persistently throughout. And I we hold him to be a hero. But he is to be given a public funeral. 
He'll be taken with a train of boats up the Esk and then brought back to the churchyard here. The owners of more than a hundred boats have given their names to follow him. Because you can't possibly believe that... Very well. I'll write up the certificate of death. Now, what about the cargo? Just 50 boxes of earth. They were consigned to a Whitby solicitor. Whoever owns the lot wasn't too worried about the blood paid for them. They've already been loaded out and taken away. You're back, Dr. Seward. He's been violent all morning. What's the matter, Renfield? He's here, Doctor. Can't you feel it? He has landed. Who, Renfield? I don't need to listen to you any longer. He doesn't want me to tell you. You'll know when he wants you to. <laughs> August 11th. What a horrible night we've had. I woke suddenly after midnight with a terrible sense of fear and sat up in bed. Lucy's bed was empty. I lit a match and found she was not in the room. Looking at her clothes, I thought she must not have gone far, for she had not put on either a dressing gown or a dress. I thought that even in her dreaming mind, she would not go far in just her nightgown. I threw on some clothes and looked all through the house. She was not there. I took a heavy shawl and ran out into the night. For some reason, I had a vague hope of seeing her in our favorite spot, up in the churchyard over the east cliff. For a moment or two, I could see nothing as I ran, for the moon was clouded. The town seemed as dead, and I did not see a soul. I was glad, for I wanted no witness of Lucy's condition. For a moment the golden moonlight emerged and I caught a glimpse of white on the cliff. I ran as fast as I could, yet it seemed to me as if my feet were weighted with lead and all my joints were rusted. The distance seemed endless. When finally I reached the top, I could see a half-reclining white figure on one of the stones and there was undoubtedly something long and black bending over her. As I called to her, something raised ahead, and from where I was, I could see a dead, white face and red, gleaming eyes. As I ran to her, I lost sight for a moment. Lucy! Lucy! <sighs> Lucy, wake up. We've got to get you home. Um, I... Dreaming. No, you're in the churchyard. We've got to get you home before someone sees us. Up you get. I'm very cold. Of course you are. Here, put on the shawl. Ow! Oh, I'm so sorry. I think I caught some skin with the safety pin. Look, there's two little holes. Will it scar? 
No, they're tiny. Come on. August 13th. Another quiet day into bed with the door locked and the key on my wrist. I woke in the night and found Lucy sitting up in bed, still asleep, pointing at the window. I got up quietly and pulled aside the blind. It was brilliant moonlight and against it flitted a great bat, coming and going in great whirling circles. Once or twice it came quite close. But upon seeing me, it seemed, grew frightened and flitted away toward the abbey. When I came back from the window, Lucy was sleeping peacefully again and did not stir all the rest of the night. Good morning, Lucy! Darling, I finally had a letter from Jonathan. Or, not from him. The dare fellow has been ill. That is why he didn't write. It's from a Sister Agatha in Budapest. He's been with them six weeks, suffering from a nervous breakdown. He's climbed down a castle wall, it says, and they found him wandering in the town below. She says he's had a fearful shock and has been raving about wolves and poison and blood and demons. <laughs> Are you alright, dear? Anyway, the sister says he wants me to bring money, and he'll need to stay a few more weeks. I have to go immediately. I know I can catch the 10.30 train if I hire a carriage. You're leaving? Yes, darling. I must. He's been dreadfully ill. I must go to him. I'm dreadfully ill. Don't be silly, dear. You've just been sleeping badly. Maybe without me snoring, you won't wake so often. You do understand, don't you? Imagine if Arthur was ill and in a strange country. You'd drop everything and go. Wouldn't you? Mina. Yes? Nothing. Just get a later train, won't you? All right. I'll get the 1210. Why don't we go for a last walk together in the churchyard? All right. Did you dream at all? The night you sleepwalked all the way out here? I didn't quite dream, but it all seemed to be real. I only wanted to be here in this spot. I don't know why, for I was afraid of something at the same time. I remember, though, I suppose I was asleep, passing through the streets and over the bridge. A fish leaped as I went by, and I leaned over to look at it, and I heard a lot of dogs howling. The whole town seemed as if it must be full of dogs all howling at once as I went up the steps, and then I had a vague memory of something long and dark with red eyes like I see in the sunset, and something very sweet and very bitter all around me at once. And then I seemed sinking into deep green water, and there was a singing in my ears as they say there is to drown in men, and then everything seemed passing away from me. My soul seemed to go out of my body and float about me in the air. I saw the lighthouse under me. And then there was an agonizing feeling like an earthquake, and I came back and found you shaking my body. I saw you do it before I felt you. Well, you look well, 
anyway. Much better than you have been. Mina, I don't understand what's happening. Please, won't you stay? I'll be back before you've missed me. Maybe in a month. You needn't be so anxious. Arthur loves you and you'll be married before you know it. And so will I. If they let me marry Jonathan in this state. And you needn't wait for me. I'm sorry, Lucy. But I really must go. Will you walk with me to the carriage? You know I can never bring myself to leave this spot. Yes. Quite. Goodbye, Lucy. I'll be back soon. Lucy, love! Hello, Arthur. Good morning, Dr. Sayward, Mr. Morris. Morning, Miss Westenra. Why, howdy, Miss Lucy. I've brought Dr. Seward to see you, Lucy. I don't like how you've been looking. Arthur, how could you? You know what I mean, darling. If you'll just sit here, Lucy. Um, you haven't cut yourself on anything recently, have you? Heavens, no. Hmm. Uh, I'm satisfied. Arthur and I were talking business, but we'll meet you at your house in a moment if you'll go on ahead. Only because you asked so sweetly? I'll walk you back, Miss Lucy. I don't know what Englishman's business they're talking, but you and I don't care a continental. Thank you, Mr. Morris. Did I ever finish telling you that yarn about the horse I saw running all alone on the plains outside of my house? Those buttocks just galloping along so strong. She's woefully worse than when I last saw her. So you see it too. She gets worse every day. She looks somewhat bloodless, but not anemic. I cannot see any malady I know of. Now I can ask her further questions, but I confess I'm puzzled. If you don't mind, Arthur, the best thing I can think of would be to write my old teacher, Professor Van Helsing of Amsterdam. He's an expert in every field that could be relevant, and an outside opinion besides. He would do anything for me for a, uh, <clears throat> a personal reason. And I'm sure he would come at once. You think it's serious? I don't know. But I'm uneasy. And I'm not used to being uneasy. I must return to my father. If you could find excuses to visit her, Jack. Her mother has a heart condition and hasn't told Lucy. You cannot tell her mother that anything is seriously wrong or it could kill her. But you must watch Lucy for me, Jack. With Mina gone away, I return with reluctance now to my diary, kept by phonograph. I have only listened to these recordings once since I first made them. September 3rd. I had meant to meet Van Helsing at the station today, but after a few weeks of lethargy and disturbed sleep, Lucy had become quite suddenly very ill. Her mother sent for me in the morning to consult professionally, which... It was a relief after weeks of excuses to see Lucy, and I had to send a wire to Van Helsing, asking him to come himself with all haste. My good friend! Where's your young patient? 
Oh, thank God you're here, Professor. There's been a terrible change for the worse. Now, I've only just seen her, but she will not wake no matter how I try. She needs blood immediately. I am younger and stronger, Professor. It must be me. I have what I need in my bag here. Who is this at such a time? Arthur! Jack, I read between the lines of your letter and I came right away. Is that gentleman Van Helsing? I am so thankful to you, sir, for coming. Sir, you have come in time. You are the lover of our dear miss. She is bad. Very, very, very bad. Nate, Nate, my child, do not go like that. You can help her. What can I do? My life is hers, and I would give the last drop of blood in my body for her. I do not need so much as that. Come, child, sit by her. Jack, give her a sedative. Ow! Most sorry, Miss Lucy. You have no need to worry, my dear miss. I am the foremost in my profession, and Seward was my best student. Were you not, my friend? No, no, no. Keep your arm still. Just so. Do you know, miss, why I have arrived all from Amsterdam with such haste? To see me? Well... Well, now that I have met you, I, I tell myself that that is the only reason. <laughs> but you know, um, our friend Jack once saved my life, and uh, when he sucked from my wound the poison of the gangrene, when our other friend, too nervous, let the knife slip. So, for this I am bound to him, and so to anyone he loves. There, the sedative works. She is now asleep. Only a moment more. Oh, what, what is that mark on her neck? What is it? There! Hold on! Now, the brave lover should go have of the port wine and lie down while. Go home then and, and sleep much and eat much. Don't you think I could stay until she's awake and speak with her? You cannot stay here another moment. You have saved her life and now you must go make up while you lost. Goodbye! Jack... I... I have to return home tonight. Are you certain I ought not to stay an hour or two with her? <clears throat> I would, um... I, I'd follow the professor's advice, Arthur. All right, then. Professor. Jack. Uh... Good afternoon, Lucy. What do you make of the mark on her throat? What do you make of it? Well, I can make nothing of it. Yeah, you could drench the bed with the blood she's lost, and uh, certainly two little holes could not be the cause. I must go back to Amsterdam tonight. There are books there which I want. You must remain here all night, and you must not let your sight pass from her. Oh, of, of course, but... I will be back before another night has passed. Remember, she is your charge. Hello, Dr. Sayward. Hello, Lucy. How are you feeling? Much better. I was feeling so ill and now I'm much better. I shall stay up all night, I think. You, you do not want to sleep? No, I am afraid to sleep. It makes me so weak and I don't know why. 
And that's what's so terrible. I'll watch you tonight, and you may sleep without fear. I can promise that nothing will happen, and and I'll even wake you if you have bad dreams. Will you really? Do you think you'd be able to tell? I live in an asylum, Lucy. I'm surrounded by bad dreams. And I suppose I'm a patient of yours now. Well, I believe you. I'll try to sleep. God, no! No! Oh, Lucy! I'm so sorry. How could you be so much worse? Lucy? Lucy! Dr. Sayward, I feel so ill. I had the most horrible dream. I saw a, a, a mist or a, or a shadow. You need blood, Lucy. I'll, I'll give you mine. Here, take this. You need a transfusion. I need to lie down a moment, Lucy. You look so dizzy. I feel much, much better, Doctor. Huh? Do you know I used to sleepwalk? When I was a child and when Mina was here, well, Mina is gone and I don't sleepwalk anymore. I sit by the window, you know. Sometimes the moonlight is caught in the glass, fluttering around. Professor, you're back. What, what time is it? I've brought flowers. But, Professor, I am not dead yet. Smell them, darling. Why, these are just common garlic. You must keep these in your room, around your neck, on the windowsill. Even if the room feels close, do not tonight open the window or the door. I will smear these on the window all around. Do not touch. Go home and sleep, Jack. We can rest for a night. Good night, doctors. I don't know about sleeping in flowers, but Arthur will have a laugh over it, I suppose. Oh, no wonder you've been sleeping so poorly, sweetheart. All these nasty-smelling flowers. You need fresh air. Mother? know that Lucy is better. Ah, I thought I had diagnosed the case. Her treatment is working. You must not take all the credit, doctor. You see, her improved state this morning is in part due to me. The room was awfully stuffy, and I cleared all those horrible, strong-smelling flowers. She's still in here, asleep. You must come and have some tea when you've examined her. God, God, what have we done? What has this poor child done now that we are so sore beset? This poor mother, all unknowing, does such a thing as lose her daughter, body and soul, and we must not tell her. We must not even warn her, or she die. 
them both die. How are all the powers of the devils against us? She needs blood. Again, I can... No. Today you must operate and I will provide. You are wicked already. There. Please, sit down, Professor. Does she wake? No, not a flicker. She looks a little better now, at least. We must go and rest. Uh, uh, I will send for you if she needs to be watched again. Dr. Sayward? Professor? I thought they were coming back. Is anybody there? Hello, darling. I was uneasy about you and came in to see you were all right. Come and sit with me. What was that? Nothing, mother. Just some leaves being blown around. Your heart is racing terribly. It's nothing. Nothing. Is anyone out there? Please, if anyone is out there, come in and help me. I write this and leave it to be seen so that no one may by any chance get into trouble through me. This is an exact record of what took place tonight. I took care that the flowers were placed as Dr. Van Helsen directed, and I was soon asleep. I was wakened by the flapping at the window. I wished that Dr. Sayward was in the next room as Dr. Van Helsing said he would be. My mother came in, and I asked her to stay with me, and for a while we sat, her heart beating far too fast when she heard the flapping at the window. And then there was a howl out in the shrubbery and then a crash as the whole window fell in and broken glass was hurled to the floor. There between the broken panes was the head of a great gaunt gray wolf. Mother cried out and sat up, clutched wildly at anything that would help her. She tore away the wreath of flowers Dr. Van Helsen insisted on me wearing around my neck. For a second or two, she sat pointing at the wolf with a gurgling in her throat, and then she fell over. The room seemed to spin, and the wolf drew his head back from the window, and there seemed a myriad of little specks wheeling and circling around like a pillar of dust. I tried to stir, but there was some spell upon me, and Mother's body, growing cold already, weighed me down. After a long, awful time, I heard a nightingale singing, and it was like the voice of my dead mother come back to comfort me. I laid her out on the bed and put a sheet over her and took what flowers I had and laid them on her breast. Now I sit alone with the dead. I dare not go out. I can still hear the wolf. 
The air seems full of specks floating and circling in the draft from the window. And the lights burn blue and dim. I shall hide this paper where they will find it when they come to lay me out. No one is answering. We will have to break a window. What on earth? Well, there's no need. Wash the glass, Professor. Oh my god! Mrs. Westenra is dead. But it is not yet too late for Miss Lucy. Quick, quick, bring me the brandy. This looks like a stand-up fight with death. Uh, if that were all, I would let her fade away into peace. For I see no light in life over her horizon. Help me lift her to the bed. What are we to do now? We must have another transfusion of blood at the instant. You and I are exhausted already. Her lover is not here. What are we to do for someone? What's the matter with me, anyhow? Quincy, what brought you here? Arthur sent me. He's coming right after. I guess I came just in the nick of time. You know you only have to tell me what to do. There. That's done, Quincy. Do you feel alright? Jack, I don't want to shove myself in where I've got no right to be. But you know I love that girl and wanted to marry her. What is it that's wrong with her? I take it both you and Van Helsing have done what I have. And Arthur too, I guess. He looked awful when I met him at his place. I haven't seen anything pulled down that quick since a mare I had went to grass all in one night. One of those big bats they called vampires had got at her, and there wasn't enough blood in her to stand up. That's what Arthur looked like to me. So won't you tell me if he was the first to do this? Give blood to her, I mean. That's so. She wakes. Miss Lucy. Shh. What's that you're tearing, Lucy? She has written us a note in the night and now she tears it. She's still tearing, but there's nothing there. Lucy, Lucy, do you hear us? And now she's scattered the pieces. Professor, what's in that note anyhow that she'd want it torn? I shall hide this paper where they will find it when they come to lay me out. Arthur! So glad you have come. No, don't kiss her. Not yet. Hold her hand. Arthur, I feel a little faint. No, Lucy. Please don't go back to sleep. Professor, the wound on her neck is gone. My God. Jack, look at her teeth. Her gums all pale and drawn back like that. Arthur. Oh, I am so glad you've come. Kiss me. Not on your life. Not for your living soul and hers. Get off me! My true friend. Thank you. Guard him and give me peace. I swear it. Come, kiss her on the forehead. 
and only once. It is all over. She is dead. Come on out with me, Arthur. Come with me now. She looks livelier than she did when she was living. Well, there is peace for her now. Not the end. It is not the end, but the beginning. What do you mean? We can do nothing as of yet. Wait and see. The post just came. There's a letter here for Lucy. Must have arrived yesterday. From a Mina Harker. My dear boy, do you mind if I open? Why should you ask me? Who else can I ask? May I read it? Yes, of course. May you read it out loud to me? My dearest Lucy, it seems an age since I heard from you, or indeed since I wrote. I got to Budapest all right, and found Jonathan in the care of the sisters. He is a wreck of himself, and does not remember anything that has happened to him for a long time past. He had some terrible shock. The sister would not tell me much of his ravings, but only again that they were full of demons and blood and all the coolish things. The morning before we were to be married, he gave me his journal, all bound up, and said, Volumina, and he never called me that since he asked me to marry him, and asked me to take the journal, but never to read it unless some solemn duty should make it necessary to relive those hours recorded there. Of course I promised, and the wedding was in the afternoon, just by the bed, with him propped up on his pillows. And I am now the happiest woman in the world. Lucy, dear, do you know why I tell you all this? It was my privilege to be your friend and guide. When you came from the schoolroom to prepare you for the world of life, I want your married life to be all happy as I am. My dear almighty God, may your life be all it promises. A long day of sunshine, with no harsh wind, no forgetting duty, no distrust. I must not wish you no pain, for that can never be. But I do hope you will be always as happy as I am now. You must tell me all your news and all the preparations for your wedding. Yours, Mina Harker. We weren't married, but you know... I gave my blood to her so that she might live longer, and I say that almost makes us married in the sight of God. <clears throat> if it may please you, I will take this letter and reply to it. She should hear of her dear friend's death, and there is more I wish to ask her. Do as you like. In fact... I will ask her and her most ill husband to come to Whitby. Three days from now, I think, I will ask all of us to meet again. Unless, Mr. Holmwood, your father's health prevent you... My father is dead. I followed Quincy here as soon as he had gone. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lord God Lemming. No, no, not that, for God's sake. Forgive me, I did not mean to snap. It is only because my loss is so recent. I will call you Arthur, my boy, for that is the name which I have grown to love for Lucy's sake. Call me what you will. I am your friend for it. Lucy's funeral is tomorrow. 
I do not know when your father will be buried. Can you return here in three days? Yes. Then we will meet again. P.S. Jonathan asked me to send his respectful duty, but I do not think that is good enough. And so, as you love me and he loves me, and I love you with all the moods and tenses of the verb, I send you simply his love instead. Goodbye, my dearest Lucy. Blessings on you.